0: This is Don't Learn to Code, a BP Logics podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. We've had a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back now, and I welcome you back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks.
1: And I'm Bonnie Walker.
0: And after what has been a tough couple of months for me medically, I am uh, back to full speed now. That's why we haven't had a podcast for two months. I was sort sort of completely out of it. Waylaid. Yeah, you you don't uh, usually expect to have uh, an appendectomy and then a strangulated hernia uh, within the same month. But, no, not, uh,
1: especially not when you're 27.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, <laughs> well, the, the appendectomy thing was weird because I am 55, so you would think that you're by that time, your appendix is fine. Apparently, not true. Uh, it's not a young man's thing. So,
1: <laughs> it could go at any time, folks. So, two trips to
0: the emergency room and two surgeries and hospitalizations. So. Mm. Not fun, but we are back now and we can catch up on the two months of podcast that we've (laughs) we've missed since (laughs) I was gone. It's
1: true. And we have a doozy for you today. This is right in uh, Mr. Franks' wheelhouse, who today will be called Professor Franks. and um, That
0: makes me very nervous. And uh, I hope you don't have a prepared list of questions.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I have prepared nothing. I promise you that. And for me, you can call me Bonnie because I have absolutely no authority in any of this. I took a Udemy Udemy course.
0: Udemy, yes. Yeah. Is it Udemy or Udemy? I never could Udemy? figure out. Oh, I never could figure out how to pronounce Udemy. that.
1: Udemy. Udemy. All right, I like that better.
0: Anyway, an online
1: course. <laughs> yes, an online course so i'm basically an authority as well there's someone lurking outside our window taking pictures of us
0: yes the the someone who i was supposed to have a meeting with 20 minutes ago who now shows up with an iphone just to take a picture through the uh, broadcast booth window okay
1: like we're zoo animals
0: <laughs> which in many ways yes we are yes so you pointed me to an article about Six Sigma and BPM.
1: Yes, uh, this this had been rattling around in my mind because I am associated with personnel who are Six Sigma Green and Black Belts, and I had been thinking about how that can overlayer with BPM. And you happen to know many many things about this, so I thought, take it away, Dale, <laughs> and I'll I'll hum and haw appropriately.
0: Um, well. The way you say BPM overlaid on Six Sigma, I think it's actually the reverse. You would overlay Six Sigma on BPM.
1: See, guys? Already.
0: <laughs> because BPM is your, is your high-level construct, your high-level way of thinking, your high-level system of how do I want all of the processes in my organization to work. A process can be anything. Um, I want to go on vacation. How do I do that? What's the process for somebody saying, yes, you can leave and we will pay you for a week while you're not here? Um, That's a process. Another process is how do I build this widget in my factory?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, when we talk about Six Sigma, little historical background, Motorola came up with Six Sigma, um, kind of. Really, Motorola stole it from the Japanese, uh, which, like most business stuff that we did in the 1980s and 1990s, we stole directly from the Japanese. (laughs) Um, Actually, Six Sigma is kind of an offshoot of something that Toyota created back in the 1960s called Total Quality Management. And Motorola applied it uh, and certainly applied many of the principles of TQM, as we call it now, to Six Sigma. And the whole idea being that we're going to go through this process of defining, measuring, analyzing, improving, and then controlling our process. Now, for Motorola, it was really about how am I going to build chips because that was basically what Motorola built at the time and radios, things like that. So they were trying to rationalize their production facility so that, well, there was a problem that we noticed. Now, I don't know if you are old enough to remember, and I doubt that you are. What American automobiles and other products were like in the 1970s.
1: I uh, know I did not have the pleasure no. of being alive at that point.
0: Let's say that in the 1960s, 1970s, you went, you bought yourself a new Ford, a new Chevy, or a new Dodge, and you had some expectations about that car. You expected that at around 100,000 miles, you were going to have to throw it away and get a new one. <laughs> okay. And that during that 100,000 miles, you would probably have to go into the dealership a number of times to have annoying little things fixed. There were, frankly, a lot of defects. American manufacturing throughout the 1960s and 70s had grown fat, dumb, and happy. Why is that? Well, that's because from the end of the 40s to the end of the 1950s, we had the only fully fledged industrial economy that hadn't been bombed into rubble.
1: Ah...
0: And so everybody got fat, dumb, and happy in the United States. And we thought, well, we're we're the kings of the world. We, we are the manufacturing center for the world. And for about 15 years, that was true. And whenever you don't feel like you have any competition and you feel like everything I do is going to be great and everybody's going to have to take it because they have no other choice, well, you don't worry too much about improvements, making mm-hmm. things better. And when the Japanese came over here and they began to import cars – And we began to realize, hey, I can drive this Honda Civic, or Honda CVCC, as it was known at the time. (laughs) Uh, I can drive this Honda Civic for like 200,000 miles, and I never have to take it into the dealership and get it fixed, because it always works. And people started buying a lot of Japanese cars, stopped buying American cars, and the same thing was true with radios. Hey, these Japanese transistor radios, they're cheap and they work. Uh, And Motorola radios are expensive and often don't. And so in the 1980s, we decided, yeah, the Japanese are doing something right, and we're doing something wrong, and we have to fix it. And one of the things that Motorola was going to fix is the rate of defects. They were—they came up with this idea of six sigma, which is a sp- statistical term. Okay. Um, about the number of standard deviations away from the mean, if you really care, which no one does. I know because I teach this, and my students don't care. Um <laughs> But the the end result of the Six Sigma process was that if I produce a million radios or a million chips or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. I should not have more than 3.4 defects per million produced. Now That is a nearly impossible standard. Because even if you have a regular assembly line, if humans are involved at any point in that assembly line, something is going to go wrong. And by the way, if robots are involved, something will probably go wrong. So 3.4 mistakes per million. Uh, it's a really almost unrealizable goal for okay. most things, but that was the goal for Motorola. The idea was constantly improve quality. And through that DEMAIC process, define, measure, analyze, improve, control,
1: uh-huh.
0: um, they were decided that they could do that in sort of a r- repetitive manner. Uh, and constantly improve. And so the idea that came from TQM uh, and Toyota's concept of continuous improvement all across the organization, that sort of got boiled into Lean Six Sigma. When we talk about BPM, we're actually taking a step back because Lean Six Sigma really was applied to manufacturing, production and operations management. BPM is the larger umbrella concept that is, how do I do everything in my organization? How do I, as I said, go on leave? How do I process uh, an employee pay raise? How do I purchase raw materials? All of those things are processes that have to be controlled as well. and They don't really get controlled by Six Sigma because Six Sigma is really specific to producing my products or as they've tried to take Six Sigma in the modern world to Produce the services that I produce. Six Sigma is a lot harder to apply to services because services are almost entirely human-centric and humans are awful. (laughs) Um, They're not predictable like machines are. So we're still trying to do it. But the Six Sigma part is the production bit, whether your production are widgets or an actual service of some type. And that fits into the paradigm of BPM. So Six Sigma, if you run any sort of manufacturing or increasingly any sort of service process, Six Sigma slots into the BPM concept. Because the BPM concept is kind of a, a four-step concept. So we've talked about this DMAIC process that I've defined a couple of times, which is the Six Sigma process, this mm-hmm. five-step process. Well, there's actually a four-step process for, for BPM, and I actually have it, uh, I actually have it listed up here. And unfortunately, because this is a podcast, I can't actually show graphics. But the idea behind BPM is that you go through a four-step process. You document what you're doing. You assess how good your process is working. You improve the process, and then you manage the process. That third step, the improve process, that's where Six Sigma comes in. Okay. So you have the two big steps, and then you have your your third big step and inside that third big step you've got the five steps of the DMAIC process for uh, Six Sigma and by the way the uh, document assess improve and manage I don't think there's a cool um there's a cool acronym for that but as near as I can figure d-a-i-m uh the acronym would be DAM.
1: DAM. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm not sure that's an acronym we want to use <laughs>
1: I don't know, man. It seems like a great opportunity.
0: But here's the thing. If you have a BPM piece of software, like, I don't know, Process Director. I don't
1: know, just hypothetically. Just a hypothetical (laughs) piece of software,
0: like Process Director. We can actually work inside your BPM or your, your, your Six Sigma process as well. Because with the artificial intelligence piece, we can actually take information from your production system, and you can actually use sort of your BPM system to monitor your production, to see how you're doing, to to grab the rates of failure for your assembly line, to see what your rates of production were. We can take all of that stuff from your production stuff. You can send an IoT stream to process director, and I think increasingly for... Uh, for many BPM solutions, you know, artificial intelligence is the new big thing, right? And rather than hiring a whole bunch of you know math whizzes to take a piece of paper and a pencil and do all the statistics by hand, we can kind of do that inside the BPM software as well. So the BPM software can actually take at least a piece of your Six Sigma process as well and do the appropriate statistical analysis of it.
1: Is there anything time-related to the the operational side or the Six Sigma side that would be addressed by our product in particular? And This is not a loaded question, he is not expecting this.
0: (laughs) First of all, time is always a necessary uh, factor in production. if you want to produce for a mass market, you have to produce, you know, X million widgets per year. That means that the time to produce each individual widget can be defined. and can be fairly rigidly defined. We know how long it takes to run a Cadillac through an assembly line. We know the maximum time it has to take and the minimum time it can possibly take uh, because we're shooting for X number of units produced so that there is enough inventory out in the real world so that customers can come and buy that car or buy that radio or television or whatever it is. So time is always a vital element of production. And one of the important things in production management is to look for every shift of production to see what your cumulative production was over that shift. Because before you even go to work that day, there is a quota for how many objects have to be produced in that assembly line. If you don't meet that, then you're falling behind production. That means that you're going to have a shortage of that product if that continues over the the long term. And so, yes, we know how many products were produced in X amount of time. So, yes, you can incorporate that into your BPM because, again, that's just a a statistical measure. And process director can certainly pull those statistics in and do the the math on them. Um, And over the course of time with a large data set, we can predict based on, let's say, the number of people who are at work on any given day. So if at the beginning of the shift, 23 people show up instead of 25, we can make a prediction about how many units will be produced by that shortage of personnel on that day.
1: Is it specific enough that you can tell person by person?
0: Um, It can be. Uh, you would of course have to have each of your uh, employees as an entity in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably less useful though, because you know this isn't you know 1750 where one person uh, you know, to make a pin takes a piece of wire and you know, cuts it off and then mm-hmm. sharpens one end. I guess they sharpened them. I'm not sure how. And then <laughs> sticks a pin on the other and says, "Aha! Uh-huh, I have created this pin." Uh-huh. Because that's not what happens. I mean, in a modern factory, in a pin factory. One person cuts the pins, and that's all he does. He just cuts wire all day, and another person sharpens the pins, and another person sticks the heads on the pins. So how do I tell what this one person's uh, output was in terms of pins created? I'm not entirely sure I have that. I can certainly track how many times he cut the wire Mm -hmm. and how many times somebody sharpened a pin and how long it took, although in the modern world. That all happens with machines. There's not a person who does any of that anymore. <laughs> um, if I have a large assembly line, even like a, a light manufacturing plant right where I might have 40 or 50 workers per shift and something is just going along the line and at some point you know, each one of those 50 workers touches it. Um, can I tell what my production was because one worker was slapping, slacking off? Maybe, maybe not. That depends on how the line is structured and what your production process is. Mm-hmm. So as long as you can track the productivity of each person, uh, then, yeah, you can. Um, whether you can track the productivity of each person really depends on your manufacturing process.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I was thinking more for, like, you're thinking along assembly line manufacturing, and I'm thinking more around, like, a complex uh, let's say uh, m- my husband, for example he he makes um turbine generators, so they're built using a team, and the different teams are are responsible for different sections of this turbine generator that's being created and while it is it, it is being structured in a way that in theory has been set up before. There's tons of variations that happen, customizations that um, customers request, um, variables from engineering that they're supposed to be in place that don't end up a- being actually um, thought through. Like A lot of you know, color comes into it that that adds more context, where I thought, hmm, BPM might be an, uh, more of an alternative around this, and creating something like a, a case around each unit. To, to have that, that collaboration documented and time-sensitive.
0: You can do it, but your your fundamental problem there is, is a problem of data collection, not a problem of BPM. Okay. I have to be able to collect that data to analyze it. Uh-huh. Once I have the data, I can analyze anything. Um, but is the data collectible? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're talking about uh, a highly... Customizable manufacturing capability—it's—it's it's much more difficult to get good predictions out of that statistically because, you know, lot A has different specifications than lot B. Am I comparing apples to apples when I compare the work times on lot A to lot B? I—I mm-hmm. I don't know. I suspect in many cases I'm not. Um, back about ten years ago, fifteen years ago, huh, wow, well, I've been doing this for. Too long. <laughs> um, I got a uh, an assignment. At, at the time, I was hand-building uh, programming uh, BPM applications. And one of the things that they wanted me to do was, I want you to build a Lean Six Sigma application, <laughs> a BPM application, uh, so that we can implement Lean Six Sigma on our document editing process. And I want to be able to uh, take a look at a document and figure out how long that document should take. And, and if it takes longer than that, be able to chart that on a, on a process control chart or what is also called a show heart chart. And, okay, fine, um, we can do all of those things. What's a document? Well, a document can be a one-page letter that has to be you know, sent to a, a technical editor for you know just you know, brushing up on the English and whatnot and getting it ready to send out. It can also be a 2,000-page <laughs> test report for um, – I worked for a defense contractor, and and one of the things that they did was uh, lot acceptance testings for the 88-millimeter mortar that the Marine Corps uses uh, for the mortar ammunition, the shells. And they would go out and perform lot acceptance testing, and that might be a 1,000-page test report. Another thing that they did was the initial operational test and evaluation of the riverine assault craft, which is a boat that the Marine Corps uses to take enjoyable rides <laughs> up the river. Uh, and one of those IOTNEs would take place over the course of a week, and that test plan might be five thousand pages. Well, a one-page letter and a five thousand-page test plan were, in their minds, a document. Okay. So, how long should it take a document? Well, I got bad news for you. <laughs> um, if you want me to try to figure out a generalized control chart. That's impossible mm-hmm. because either you're telling me I have 240 days to edit a one-page letter or I've got three days to edit a 5,000-page <laughs> test plan. I can't hook those two things together. Right. What we actually ended up having were 24, count them, 24 separate categories of document that had to be tracked. And so the one-page documents had their own category. Now, once we were able to get the definition of a document in Category X as being the same as all other documents in that category, now I can begin to, to use my BPM software to capture that data and ultimately produce a, a show heart chart that shows me how long it's taking me. So I have my expected time at the the, the, the the, the median level, and then I have my upper and lower control limits, and then I can see what documents were done faster or slower than the area between the upper and lower control limits. Okay. And so for each document, I could track that. But I had to be tracking apples with apples. And, you know, one-page document is an apple... And if that's so, then a 5,000-page test report ain't an apple. I don't know what it is. It's a papaya or something. But <laughs> or I can't. rotisserie chicken. Yeah, but it ain't an apple. And so that's the problem with highly customizable manufacturing. Now, in this case, that was a service, and mm-hmm. it was all, you know, people were involved. But manufacturing is no different. Mm-hmm. If I have, you know, a turbine that is supposed to uh, produce 1,000 um, watts of electricity, uh, that is not the same turbine as one that produces 1.5 megawatts of electricity at uh, at Hoover Dam, mm-hmm. uh, and so I can't really compare those two. So I've got to have some sort of category bifurcation in my manufacturing, so that for each manufacturing process I'm going through, I'm I'm doing that same sort of apples to apples comparison.
1: Okay, illuminating, professor. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it it is interesting. And the the categorization of these, it seems like it would be a necessary step to to keep those lines clear. Um, Is that something that is across industries, or is that something unique to manufacturing or to an operational excellence kind of deliverables mindset?
0: That's across industries. I think there's probably very few industries left Auto manufacturing may in fact be one of them, where everything is done sort of on an assembly line basis. Certainly light manufacturing, you have a limited number of products. They're all very standardized. And so in that case, you have pretty much the same sort of assembly line type predictable process. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Where I think you fall out of that is, well, even with auto manufacturing, BMW has a concept that they call mass customization. Um, if you actually took a look at BMW and look at the cars that they produce now they produce a, a limited number of models, overall models of car, the 1 series, the 2 series the 4 series the the 6 and the 8 the 7 and the 8 um, and they keep changing it around but that's only like 6 models mm-hmm. oh they also have the X3, the X5 so they have the X models so there's another 3 so We're at about 12 models, maybe, of BMW. And you would think, okay, well, that's 12 baskets. Well, no, it's not. Uh, Because BMW and uh, Mercedes both have this enormous number of options that you can get. No car dealership for BMW or Mercedes anywhere in the country has a base model 2-series or a base model C-series sedan. They don't exist. They all have some level of customization in terms of the option. I think somebody did the math and they said with uh, with uh, Mercedes-Benz if you take the number of vehicles they have and then multiply them by the number of available option packages that you can get, um, Mercedes-Benz actually produces about 5 billion models of car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... That becomes a problem, certainly for BMW with the mass customization model. Now, the way that they've done that is figured out what are the options that most people get. And so we'll just run, you know, a run today of option set A, a run tomorrow and Tuesday of option set B, and then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday we'll run option set C. Uh, and so they generally... Reserve very little time for the weird guy who comes in and says, oh, I want this car, but I don't want that option package. I want this option package, and I want those tires, and I want that steering wheel. <laughs> okay, then we'll have to do you know, sort of special runs for those weird things on an as-needed basis. Mm-hmm. And that's why you say, okay, we'll give you your car in three months mm-hmm. because that's how long it's going to take us to get to it. Uh, but for the most part, in if you go out of manufacturing and you get into services, I... I don't know that there is a standard length of time that it takes. Uh, I I don't know that you can standardize quite that way. I mean, just take a look at what we do here. A a tech support ticket comes in, right? Mm -hmm. It's a customer who says, I have problem X. Maybe that problem is the customer doesn't know how to do X. Um, And so he needs, you you just write back and say, yeah, add format equals length to your system variable. (laughs) And, oh, okay, you've solved my problem. The other one is, hey, this thing isn't working right, and I'll write it back and say, well, do this, and they'll come back and say, yeah, that doesn't—that's already done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the problem. And ultimately, maybe I have to call that customer. Maybe I have to get them online. And look at their computer and take control of their computer and go through all of this stuff. And then I can't figure that out. So I can't figure it out. So now I've got to say goodbye to the customer. And I've got to send this ticket on to one of the developers because now they got to look at it. Mm -hmm. And maybe they'll need to talk to the customer. When a customer support ticket comes along, I don't know how long that support ticket is going to take. And so trying to apply Six Sigma to even something as simple as customer support tickets, that may be kind of a... Maybe kind of a hard thing to do mm-hmm. because I don't know, in, in any service industry, I don't know when a customer walks into a door what services I'm going to provide and how long it's going to take to provide that service. So, in, in, in situations like that, or in systems where you have a lot of customization that you do on each particular batch, mm-hmm. um, it, it it does present a challenge in determining how I'm going to collect the data at what level and how am I going to bifurcate it out into different categories or buckets so that I am, again, doing that apples-to-apples comparison.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. But so if, is there a OPEX model that you could apply to services at all
0: Well, that's why Six Sigma is being applied to services. I mean, it works for manufacturing. Services are really difficult. I don't know that there is a – and some will disagree with me on this because they're wrong. (laughs) But I I really don't know – whenever you're dealing with people, I I just don't know, unless it's something really standardized, that there is a perfectly good model to apply to – a service organization. You can try, you can sort of approximate it, you can use the same principles. Because look, the the, the principles behind Six Sigma, the DMAIC principle, mm-hmm. define, measure, improve, analyze, control. Um, I had that exactly wrong. Define, measure, analyze, improve, control. Um, that's a pretty good model for use in any system.
1: It's mm-hmm. how I parent. The <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> actually, it's not I, a bad I run, model. I run for, a lean
1: six sigma household. <laughs> it's it's not a bad
0: model for that. Uh, the, the The difference is, I think, the expectations that we have in manufacturing for making process improvements. And most manufacturing today is is primarily automated, and so process improvements are are relatively easy to implement and easy to measure, and they tend to be very very. Reliably close in time um, between each process, okay. um, so the process times, the touch times, everything tends to be the same. Not always true with uh, humans, but the the principles are the same. What is my problem? Let's define that. Define the 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 improvement that I would like to make. Let's measure what we're doing now. Um, now we have to analyze our current data, our current processes, then we have to figure out what the improvement is. And once we've implied that improvement, now we have to set controls. Ways to measure whether, A, we're meeting that improvement, and if we don't meet that improvement, how do we... um, I was going to say force, and that's not the term I want (laughs) to use. How do we incentivize our employees to meet those goals? Mm -hmm. And... The principle is the same, but the application is far different. It's the application that is difficult in a service industry. Uh, I would say it is the analysis that's difficult in the manufacturing side.
1: But surely, in the services industry, if you go through enough iterations of of, of an interaction, and and you 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 know, so going back to the service ticket, you you have 17,000 service tickets that are filled around the I don't know what I'm doing bucket, you get kind of a general uh, timeline around what it would be to resolve it. It wouldn't be pinpoint accuracy, but it would give you a foundation to work from.
0: That's true. The the thing is that you know what your mean time is. And Mm -hmm. so that's the middle line in your in your uh, control chart, that's what you're shooting for. Mm -hmm. In the best of all possible worlds, everything would take place at that mean time, right? So everything would take place exactly 4.3 hours. In the real world, that's not true. Uh, Some things take longer than 4.3 hours, some things take less. Mm -hmm. And whether they're taking too much longer or or not going long enough is determined by your control lines. Is my process in control? is something popping up above the maximum amount of time. Mm -hmm. Um, In order to ensure that that doesn't happen, um, your control lines, your upper and lower control limits have to be pretty wide because the more variable your process is, the wider your control limits are. And, of course, the wider your control limits are, the harder it is to tell whether your process is actually in control.
1: Mm. But couldn't your categorization, like kind of creating those different buckets for each process, narrow it somewhat? Get
0: you closer. Get okay. you a lot closer. So you end up with 24 types of documents. Um,
1: <laughs> right. Of course,
0: you have to depend on the people who are picking that 24 to pick the right one of the 24 types of categories that they have. But yeah.
1: But going back to manufacturing, if you had something that, you know, talking about the Turbines. I refuse to call them turbines. I understand that that is the industry term. I just can't find myself doing it. I always say turbines, as the as the de facto. I'm not born into it.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do the same thing too. Because every time you say turbine, I think of uh, a, a piece of elaborate headwear. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. And and I'm I'm just not there yet. Give me a couple more years, and I'll I'll, I'll say roll it off the the tongue, but my point with that is you're talking about the customizations. But like, let's say there's uh, you know f- five models that are base models, and then there's kind of taking the BMW or Mercedes approach, and then there's these standardized customizations that are the the most common. Could you go down that road where then you have your kind of timelines that are structured out?
0: Sure, you could. I mean, there, there'll probably always be outliers because some customer is going to have some crazy. stupid customization (laughs) that they want. Um, But in general, yeah. But but you have to be able to, before you can actually control that process, you have to be able to figure out what goes in each bucket. Mm -hmm. And that you are, again, apples to apples comparison between those two things. The really difficult part of automation is not whether automation works. It quite obviously does. Mm -hmm. We've made, you know, vast fortunes In this country, doing automation. Yeah, me personally, (laughs) I've made a vast fortune doing automation. Um, That's not the hard part. The hard part is at the process level. And something that Bill Gates said several years ago says, you know, whenever you're dealing with IT projects or any sort of information technology product, rule number one is that any automation that you apply to that process. If it's an efficient process, will magnify the efficiency. Rule number two is: if it's an inefficient process, automation will magnify the inefficiency. <laughs> and so that's where the the BPM portion comes in, as the umbrella over which all of your Six Sigma um, Six Sigma processes are gathered. Because the whole point about BPM is: how do we make that process more efficient? Um, For manufacturing these days, most of the time, I I think I would have to say that all of the low-hanging fruit has already been picked. Mm -hmm. We know how to set up a manufacturing system. We know how to automate manufacturing. That's the easy bit. It becomes harder if your manufacturing process requires a lot of human input so people have to screw things in manually and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will never go away. But for simple things like radios or what have you, I mean that stuff is all done by machine. That's mm-hmm. that's really easy to sort of manage. And as technology improves, as the, the machines improve, um, well, you can just buy new machines that will do the same thing faster and more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done that with welding with robots now. Now the robots just know precisely what points to weld and they you know, move on. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, and the only thing you have to worry about is, well, is there a new robot that does it, you know, four-tenths of a second <laughs> faster? And would buying that robot be a good economic decision to make? Mm-hmm based on X number of units that could be produced in excess with that new robot. That's easy to do. Uh, with humans, uh, that's, uh, again, humans are hard to work with. Mm-hmm. They have their own problems, and they have their own thoughts and ideas and opinions. Sometimes <laughs> they want to tell you these things, yeah, and they expect you to listen. And, by the way, they expect you to treat them in a certain way. Eat and eat fish at work. And, you know, one of the things that... Um, that you don't want to do whenever you're going through this process is make large changes frequently in what your people are doing. Um, If they are never comfortable with what they're doing and everything is always new because you've changed something again, um, they become a lot more tentative in their work. They don't have the, you know, think about when you drive. When you drive, I bet that at some point you've gotten home from work. And you've stepped out of your car, and you've thought to yourself, how did I get here?
1: (laughs) Daily, but but not limited to driving. (laughs) But
0: everything that you do when you drive is like muscle memory. Mm -hmm. I know the road home. I know everything. I know where the stoplights are. And so I can think about other things, that great TV show that I was watching last night. So my mind wanders while I just sort of autopilot Mm -hmm. home. Well, that kind of muscle memory applies to work, too. If you have people who are doing fairly repetitive jobs, okay, th- they build up that muscle memory and they can do those jobs fairly efficiently. If you keep changing that process on them, um, they never get a chance to build up that muscle memory. It starts to get frustrating. Mm-hmm. And if you're changing that process on them and saying, do this new thing, oh, and by the way, I'm watching you on time <laughs> every minute, um, that's pressure that a lot of employees are not going to respond to. Well, too. So Mm -hmm. you do have to, when humans are involved, you do have to, you know, show, well, at least pretend that you care.
1: (laughs) Which is an art unto itself and the topic of our new podcast.
0: (laughs) You know, one of the the, the famous stories in business about that is the Hawthorne Experiment, Hmm. which um, was a, a... a productivity study that was done in the 1920s and early 1930s at the Western Electric Plant in Hawthorne, New Jersey. What they were trying to do is say, if we change the environmental conditions, will productivity go up or down? And at the time, you know, workers were not treated sort of the same way that they are today. We didn't have to pretend to care about our workers. We just told them what to do, and they either did it or they got fired. And Mm -hmm. that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to make the workers more productive. So what they started to do, and I don't know why they thought this would do anything, um, I guess they thought it would make them less productive because the first thing they started doing was changing the light levels in the factory. (sighs) They would just make it progressively dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And every time that they dimmed the lights in the factory, they would gather all the workers and they would say, how did you feel about the factory being dimmed? Did it make you work harder or easier? What would you like to see in terms of lighting? Is it too bright? Is it too dim? And they kept doing this. And every time they dimmed the lights, people got more productive. <laughs> now, had they stopped there, the result would have been, well, when all of your employees are lurking in the darkness. That's the most
1: optimal working conditions. That's optimal.
0: <laughs> um, but then, of course, they started to raise the light levels. And then they'd go and ask the employees how they felt about stuff. And the uh, productivity kept improving. And so changing the light levels didn't seem to be what was it causing the improvement in productivity. What, they asked, could it possibly be? Uh, and as it turned out, uh, and it only took them uh, a decade to figure this out, uh, as it turned out, the employees liked being asked their opinions. You're yeah, feeling how things valued, are-
1: <laughs> being seen as humans.
0: <laughs> My opinion is valuable. <laughs> and that was what was making the employees yeah. more productive. Hey, they're trying to make things better for me. Well. Well, that may have been what they told you. What sure, they're,
1: <laughs> my little guinea pig. Sure we are. <laughs> what they were
0: actually doing was was using you for experiments. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, whenever you deal with employees, keep in mind that their thoughts and opinions have a direct effect on your results. And don't skew the results by making the process of implementing Six Sigma onerous to your employees.
1: Words of wisdom from Professor Frank.
0: Yeah, I'm... Uh, <laughs> You know, I don't know that I should actually be called Professor Franks, but I mean, technically I am, but... um,
1: Why not? This is the only episode you're going to have that, so you might as well milk it for everything it's worth. Oh, all right. (laughs) Okay.
0: I'll I'll, I'll be Professor Franks
1: for this this episode. Yeah, yeah. Next episode, I'm going to be Captain Walker. Um, Okay. (laughs) I've never owned that title, but I'm feeling it. (laughs) We'll need to find a reason. But that's a challenge for another day, gentle listeners.
0: Are you trying to hint that the podcast is over?
1: Not forever.
0: Oh, just for today?
1: <laughs> do not weep.
0: <laughs> well, I got to tell you, it probably seemed like the podcast was over going back to uh, going back to June, which, which actually we didn't even do one in June. We skipped June and July, right? So we skipped two whole months. It was but a we're long. back. But we're back. So hopefully we'll be back on a regular monthly schedule and we'll be able to continue the podcast. Hopefully... Uh, I won't go back and and take any more of the offers from the Surgery of the Month Club, and hopefully Bonnie won't (laughs) either. So in any event, uh, thanks for listening, and we will be back again next month. Until then, so long.